you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. What is up? Welcome to another edition of the NFL Fantasy Football Show. It's me, your man, MG Marcus Grant, still masking and socially distancing, but partially vaccinated. I'm excited. I got my shot. Uh, last week, yeah, it's, uh, it's good news. Um, got a big show, of course. I got all just I got all you know sidetracked and derailed thinking about the you know what's going on in the last week. But uh, big show for you, of course. We are joined by producer Steve. Uh, Matt Okada is back as we continue our pre-draft preview. This is a big one. This is part one of two of wide receivers. We've already done quarterbacks and tight ends. We did running backs last week. Uh, so wide receivers. So Matt, this is. This is your wheelhouse here. So, that, you know, we, we, when we talked about doing this, we talked about doing this as a two-part thing, in part because uh, wide receiver is very deep, in part because this is especially what you do. So uh, I would imagine this is, this is the week you have been really waiting for, I would imagine. It is, yeah. I I'm always get excited about talking wide receivers. I get excited about watching wide receivers. I get excited about where they, go, where they get drafted. It is going to be fun this year for sure and these two weeks are going to be fun and for anyone thinking that you know we get through all the good guys this week and next week's episode's not as great that's pretty backwards because <laughs> the depth and the exciting guys in the second group are even maybe more interesting so it's going to be fun yeah i was trying to figure out how we could best split this up and just you know the quick overview my my idea was for this week to talk about the guys who could go, you know, possibly first round, maybe early second round at the latest. So we've got, you know, your top guys, your elite group. Uh, and then there's a handful of guys below them, uh, not all of whom may end up in the first round, but some of these guys you would expect to be off the board probably fairly early in the second day. So we're going to do that today. Next week, you'll get through a handful of other guys, which, as you mentioned, the, the depth of this class is amazing. So next week, uh, we'll talk about some guys who will probably be, you know, second day, uh, maybe even the third day, but guys who potentially could make an impact fantasy-wise, uh, certainly this year in redraft draft leagues, but definitely uh, in dynasty leagues. So we will certainly get to that um, as well. Uh, quick note, though, before we dive into that, Alex Smith uh, has decided to retire from the National Football League after um, what has been maybe one of the more remarkable careers, certainly in my lifetime, uh, a guy who was a number one overall pick, uh, really struggled early in his career to to live up to that billing, then sort of had a mid-career resurgence, if you will, had a, a great year or two in San Francisco before going to Kansas City, uh, really sort of taking off. I think that's when his career really took off is with the Chiefs, uh, obviously that had the horrible leg injury in Washington before coming back to play. Uh, and no surprise winning comeback player of the year. But, um, you know, Matt, it was not maybe the career that people had expected for Alex Smith coming out of Utah. Uh, but when it was all said and done, uh, I think he ended up having a really good, really successful, like I said, really just remarkable career all, all told. 
Yeah, I would say like solid, very solid, you know, a likable guy going out and winning comeback player of the year is pretty great. He's not probably going to be a Hall of Famer. He's not going to be anyone that anyone talks about as one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. But he won a lot of games. He made a bunch of Pro Bowls. He had some really strong seasons. That last season with the Chiefs was very, very good, even for fantasy that year, which he wasn't really for most of his career. Uh, but yeah, a really, really solid career overall. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, best of luck to him in retirement. Very curious to see what is next for Alex Smith. If he stays around the game, if he decides to, uh, you know, kind of maybe step back a little bit. You know, it's wild. Um, and, and not that it's unusual when you see top level pros to know that they've played with other great football players in their life. But I go back to the fact that Alex Smith and Reggie Bush were in the same backfield in high school. Uh, down at wow. Helix High, uh, down in the San Diego area. So you had Alex Smith get drafted number one overall. You had Reggie Bush go at number two overall. Um, that's pretty good for, for a high solid. school back. That's all. Uh, all right. Um, let's. Th- oh, other quick thing. I mentioned I got I got a vaccination. I don't know if you saw. Did you see the Marshawn Lynch, uh, Anthony Fauci interview that was circulating around? I didn't, but I can already tell I need to. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. I haven't watched the whole thing yet. I've watched a good portion of it. It's it's about half an hour, and it is Marshawn Lynch sort of talking to to Dr. Fauci about, you know, vaccination and, and whether or not people should. And, uh, I mean, you know, done in a way that only Marshawn Lynch could do. Of course. <laughs> um, it's amazing. Uh, right off the bat, he calls him Dr. Fauci-Z which uh, I think should be his official nickname from now on. Oh, it's good. Yeah, so if you haven't, I'm pretty sure it's on YouTube. I'm sure you can search Twitter and find it as well. But uh, it is is worth the time. I'm going to go back and try to finish the last half of it that I didn't get to watch. But uh, yeah. Uh, Beast Mode and Dr. Fauci-Z. Vaccination. Uh, Check it out. It's worth your time. All right. Uh, Let's talk some wide receivers here because this is what we came to do today. Um, So... You know, we talked at the beginning about you know how you sort of got involved and interested in doing scouting and, and this sort of thing. Um, you mentioned that you took a course specifically, though, on scouting wide receivers. What was it about this position that sort of really drew your focus? Uh, there's a few things, really. It was so when I when I did this, I um, enrolled in this academy. And they, they have positional modules. So you start off the first three months, you pick a position, you're going to go through that. And I kind of felt like I wanted to go with a fantasy relevant position because while I kind of wanted to scout everything at the time and I was even potentially considering sort of a GM type track for a career, um, I was still in the fantasy space. I was I had my podcast and I wanted to be able to, you know, be better at that aspect of what I was doing. And so it was between running backs and wide receivers, more or less. And I chose receivers for a couple reasons. One, I think they're more difficult to scout naturally than running backs. There's a lot more nuance to the position. Um, coverage and stuff like that is, is a big factor, and it's a little more involved than the running back position. And then I honestly think they're more interesting to watch than running backs. I think watching a wide receiver, especially since a lot of the times when you're watching a game, you're not watching a wide receiver you're usually watching the ball or the standard fan is watching the ball. And for a running back, you know, the quarterback hands the ball off after taking two steps back and then you're watching him immediately. The receiver, most of what he does, you're not watching. Most of how he succeeds and what he does that makes him an NFL superstar, you're not watching. Obviously, you get your great catches, like the Odell catch at the end of the play. Then you realize, oh, my goodness, that's incredible. 
But most of what a, a wide receiver does on a play is off screen or just out of uh, out of sight, out of mind. So a lot of that made it really interesting to me. So I started off with that. It's funny you say that, too, because when I had Matt Harmon on a few weeks ago, and obviously he does a lot of wide receiver stuff as well. One of the things he said, which you sort of touched on, is that when you are watching a game as a fan and when you're just watching a regular broadcast of a game, the receivers run off the screen. You see them line up. The play starts. They run off the screen. Yeah. And generally, you don't know what they're doing. You get a sense like if if they get a target. Um, you can kind of get some sense of, you know, were they open, how open were they, what have you, but you generally don't know, which, you know, for a wide receiver, it allows you the leeway to tell somebody that you were always open and they just didn't see it. Um, <laughs> but I do think there is something to that, that there is so much of that uh, that goes into playing that position that we just, you know, unless you have access to all 22 or something like that, uh, you just don't see it. And so I think it's, it's interesting. And I think especially as we have, move to a game that is so much more reliant on passing the football uh, where wide receivers do have a little bit more value because of, of, you know, the way the game is played now. So um, I always think it's interesting why people sort of gravitate toward a thing that they do. Um, So I've asked this for all the other positions. I might as well ask it for receivers. When you are scouting them, what in particular are you looking for? So primarily the, 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 the overall, mantra of what you're looking for is how that wide receiver wins in other words when they're headed downfield and they're trying to make a play happen how do they succeed at making a play happen how do they win how do they beat a defender and make a play for their team so more or less there's i would say three key areas and then there's a ton of stuff under them and outside of them and off shooting from those but the three that really stand out to me route running athleticism, and then at the catch point, what you do at the catch point. So route running, these are your Keenan Allen's and your Stefan Diggs. It involves how you release off the line of scrimmage, which is an underrated and crucial part of a receiver's game. Things like foot quickness and the ability to break in and out of your routes suddenly. So that's where you, you know, when we watch highlights of route running, that's what you think of when a guy plants his foot and cuts suddenly, leaves a defender, sending him on skates. That's that's a pretty big part of this. Um, the ability to come like uh, come back on a on a deeper or more vertical route to stop and come back. That's a skill that of its own um, nuance in your route running. The ability to misdirect a defender, a DB, with like head fakes, angles, what you're doing with your body, stuff like that, and then good football IQ in my opinion, falls under route running largely. Mm-hmm. The ability to read w- what the best option is. Where is the defender's leverage? Where Where is your ability to change that leverage and gain leverage over him? So all that stuff falls under route running. Athleticism is pretty simple, straight. You know, that's pretty straightforward. <laughs> that's your Tyree kills, even your Julio Joneses to a degree. Speed, explosiveness, agility, jumping. Um, all that stuff falls under athleticism. And uh, in a lot of ways, you can make up for less uh, crafty route running with incredible athleticism. And by the way, most of these guys I'm naming have some of all of these things because they're the best receivers in the league, but that's what that's what kind of their bread and butter is. And the last thing is just at the catch point. So how do they win at the point of the catch? You've got your guys like DeAndre Hopkins or your Larry Fitzgeralds whose hands and uh, catch radius are just so insane that if you put the ball anywhere near them, they're probably coming down with it. You've got your Kenny Galladay's 
who make contested catches, Mike Evans, guys like that, who either you're going to have a defender draped on them. They're still going to come down with the ball. Um, the ability to just in the air, body control, uh, toughness and aggressiveness, that falls all under this sort of uh, scheme or area of receiver's ability. So you take those three things with all the things under them, you see how and where they win in those things. And then for me, you kind of rate al- along those paths and that's how you get to your, your decision on a receiver. Um, do drops matter for you? Yes. Drops do matter a little bit and it depends on what kind, because you've got your drops where they're just showing they don't have great hands and that matters. I want my, my it's useful <laughs> for a wide receiver to have good hands. Spoiler. I'm going to write that down. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that, that definitely does stand out. But I would say more often and more concerning is concentration drop issues, mm. um, especially when a receiver is running across the middle. If they're being asked to run crossing routes and you see them consistently dropping the ball or or fumbling the ball a little bit when they are expecting they might get hit or when they know they're in traffic, that can stand out to me a lot. Because if you have a receiver you're asking to do that and he has a weakness that makes that uh, aspect of his game less successful that's going to be a big problem for me so it does matter yeah i I ask that because i know there's sort of a it's not on the level of you know rbs don't matter but there's i think a budding sort of conversation Mm. about that um you know i know some people who firmly believe that they don't matter that as long as as long as the targets are coming a player's way um that they don't matter i guess i guess i guess the corollary to that is that they matter if the targets stop coming you know, if yes. if you have enough drops that the targets stop coming your way, then drops suddenly matter. But I guess as long, you know, Deontay Johnson, I guess, being a good example, mm-hmm. of that, a guy who sort of has had issues with drops in the past. But, you know, the way it stands right now and that Steelers offense, you know, he's going to get targets. So in that respect, uh, if you're Deontay Johnson, drops don't really matter. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for fantasy, if you have a lot of drops, it probably means you're getting a lot of targets more right. or less. So it's almost like, okay, I, I, I'm totally fine with the drop. For fantasy. <laughs> but then you've got your DeAndre Hopkins who gets 150 targets and still doesn't drop the ball. That is better. That's oh, absolutely. One of the best. Well, you know, you mentioned, you mentioned the Larry Fitzgerald. What is it that he has uh, more career tackles than he has drops, yep. which yep. is an insane, it's, it's an insane stat. Uh, that tells you about how good his hands have been over his career. Um, so this year we talk about how good this wide receiver class is. Last year we talked about how good that wide receiver class is and how it was, you know, looking like an all time wide receiver class. And look, all things considered, the guys who were in that class last year really sort of lived up to that building. I thought last year's class did a great job as rookies. Um, how do you compare this year's group to last year's group? Yeah, this is really interesting and pretty tough because you're going to always want to make these comparisons. And last year was so good, both coming into the draft and like you pointed out after the season, how they played out was pretty impressive. Overall, I think this is at least as good a class at the top and it is definitely deeper. So last year, my top three were C.D. Lamb, Jerry Judy, Justin Jefferson. That was most people's top three. They they all played very well. Certainly, they all look like they can be wide receiver ones at some point in their career. The elite three of this class match up to those three, in my opinion, which is a very, very tall compliment because that trio is so good. But the elite three of this class, who we'll talk about today, I think they match up. And then after that, you know, we had, we had some really good, like, four or five guys last year. Ayuk, Brandon Ayuk and T. Higgins, very, very strong. 
I think they match up to receivers in this class that are closer to like the seven, eight range oh. of best wide receiver in this class. And I love Brandon Ayuk, believe mm. me. So you're going to get guys in the second round of rookie drafts this year, probably mid to late second round that I would have taken in the first round, end of the first round last year. So depth wise, I think this is possibly one of the best classes we've ever had. That's that's pretty impressive. And, you know, it, I'm very curious to see and I don't I don't have an answer to this. Maybe you do uh, as where our wide receiver draft classes go over the next few years. Right. Because mm-hmm. as as the game becomes more spread out, we see it, especially at the college level. Um, but it's definitely you know taken hold in the NFL as well as the game becomes more spread out and becomes uh, more vertical, more downfield. Um, you know, I think you're going to see obviously more athletes kind of gravitate to the wide receiver position, you know, where a generation ago, a lot of your best athletes were probably playing running back. I think now you're seeing a lot of those guys go to play wide receiver. And it just makes me wonder, are we going to continue to see this level of depth, uh, in wide receiver draft classes over the next few years, which on the one hand is great. It's a lot of fun. On the other hand, um, I think it makes it harder for some guys to break through, but I, I feel like, I feel like this won't be the last time we have this conversation where we're talking about how good a wide receiver draft class is and sort of comparing them to draft classes of the past. I feel like this is going to start to be the norm when we have this conversation every year, but I don't know if yep. you feel the same way. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's get down to, let's start with the big three here. Um, and everybody may have a slightly different order, but the three names that everybody's talking about at the top of this draft class, Devontae Smith, Jamar Chase, and Jalen Waddell. Uh, just for curiosity's sake, how do you have those three ranked? Uh, I believe just how you name them. Smith, Chase, Waddle okay. is, yeah, that's my ranking. All right. Pretty, so look, pretty firmly. Yeah. Like I said, I think, I think, yeah, like I said, those are the three. I think maybe the biggest conversation is between Smith and Chase as for who's number one. Um, but you know, whatever, I think th- those three guys are all in the same conversation. So let's, let's start with Devonte Smith, uh, who had just a phenomenal year last year at Alabama wins the Heisman trophy, which nowadays feels unheard of, uh, feels nearly impossible for a wide receiver, basically for a non quarterback. It feels pretty <laughs> impossible to win the Heisman trophy, but Devonte Smith did it last year for the Crimson Tide. Um, just when I watch him, just an incredible technician when it comes to route running. Um, I mean, a guy who just you know wins. You talk about you know leverage and uh, you know football IQ and just awareness on the field and what he can do to a defensive back. Devontae Smith has that down at an amazing level. The biggest knock on him, Matt, has been that he is a smaller guy. He has a smaller frame. He's not, you know, he's not Julio Jones, right? Like nobody's going to compare him or confuse him for a Julio Jones, DK Metcalf type. Um, Does that concern you at all? Just, you know, being able to to play and and survive and succeed at the next level as, you know, kind of a smaller bodied player. So if I, if I said purely no, and if anyone who's a Devontae Smith truther says purely no, I think that's honestly nonsense. I think they're being blind because it it does concern. It has to concern to some degree. Now, where you let that degree get to is a matter of how much you like Devontae Smith. But the simple fact is, if he succeeds at the, at the NFL level, at, at the degree or to the degree that we a lot of people think he will, he will be an outlier. Definition outlier means it's rare. It doesn't occur all the time. And so that should give you a little bit of, in my opinion, of honest hesitation. 
But the magnitude of that concern is what matters. And for me, it is minimal. Mm-hmm. I I wish he was 10 pounds heavier. I do not deny it. <laughs> but am I going to let that stop me from taking him number one among wide receivers in rookie drafts? Or, by the way, pretty close to number one in rookie drafts overall if you're not in a 2QB or a Superflex league. I think that's probably the way I'm leaning right now. Mm-hmm. Is Am I going to let that stop me if I'm an NFL team from taking him top 10? No, absolutely not. Because everything else he put on tape blows that, those concerns out of the water. He is incredible, and he does everything that you would need to do to make up for that slider frame extremely well. So a lot of the names that get brought up when we talk about, oh, well, who's a player comparison for this really thin, you know, slight-framed <laughs> guy then that succeeded at the NFL? And people who want to defend Devontae Smith will bring up guys like Marvin Harrison, Isaac Bruce, Chad Johnson, basically Hall of Fame caliber wide receivers to which you have to say, okay, that seems like maybe a little bit dangerous to make those comparisons. (laughs) But the thing is like those guys were all dominant receivers because they were very good, technically sound route runners. They were athletic. They had high football IQs. They knew how, like you said, to leverage DBs to win in ways that their, their slider frame didn't really matter. And Devontae Smith absolutely has every skill that you need to do that. So I have no um, I have no qualms drafting him at the very top of any draft, even though I have technically, the answer to your question, technically a little tiny bit of concern. And I hope he puts on a little bit of weight at the NFL level. I mean, I think it's it's only natural to at least have some concerns, right? I mean, you're, you're talking about playing uh, an incredibly violent physical sport and, you know, it's it helps to have a little bit more padding, a little bit more muscle on you. So I think, you know, I think you're right. I think anybody who says they have zero concern about it is maybe being a little bit blind uh, to, to what they want to believe there. And you mentioned Chad Johnson, Chad Ochosenko, who, however you want to refer to him. But he, he made it a point on Twitter to say, look, some guys are just built different. You don't worry about their body type. You watch their game and you realize that they can be successful. And he said, Devontae Smith is one of those guys. So, um, you know, I, I feel like you can sort of put some stock in that, right? A guy who has, who has played and been successful on that level uh, with a similar body type. Um, you know, if, if he watches and he has faith, I think that can allow you to have a little more faith as well. Um, watching him with the tie, though, they moved him all over the field. And we always talk about, you know, can a guy play inside, outside? Certainly at Alabama, he was able to kind of win pretty much everywhere, Obviously, stepping up a level in competition, you know, not everybody can make that jump. Do you feel like Smith can go on, stand on the outside, play outside, and be successful at the NFL level? Yes, I absolutely do. Now, would I prefer maybe that he goes into the slot? Probably. Slot, being in the slot in general in the NFL these days for fantasy is typically better if you're getting the targets. Mm-hmm. It's just easier to get open. So it would be nice. But do I think he can win on the outside still? Yes. And there's one main reason why. If you're trying to win on the outside as an NFL receiver, there's a lot of things that come into play. But your release off the line is going to be arguably the most important thing. And Devontae Smith's ability... To release off the line, especially against press coverage, which means the DB is up on that line. He's trying to get hands on the receiver and push him off his route, which is where you would be concerned about a 170-pound wide receiver, mm-hmm. right? He is 
bonkers. It is hilarious to watch him release off of the line. His foot quickness, his release speed, the, the way that he just avoids completely a DB trying to get his hands on him. I almost was upset that I couldn't see him play through that contact at the line more often <laughs> to see how I felt about his strength at his size because I never got to see the DB put his hands on him <laughs> because they couldn't. They just couldn't. That's how elite Devontae Smith is. And so, yes, he can win on the outside. He can win him from the slot, and it might be best if he goes there. But if a team wants to put him on the outside, I will not be concerned. I think he can do it. I think it's funny that, you know, a red flag is that he was too good at this one thing. So I yep. can't see how he would be uh, against other competition. That That is a... Uh... Well, that does speak volumes about what he potentially can do on the next level. I think it's interesting, too, when we talk about at the college level, um, you know, guys and their ability against press coverage. Now, you obviously watch a lot more of these guys than I do on tape. Um, do you see a lot of guys facing press coverage? Uh, I, I feel like we don't see it quite as much at college just because the, you know, the defensive backs maybe aren't as good. Um, so I feel like it, it does sort of say something when a guy is really good against press coverage. I feel like they don't see it all that often in college. Yeah, I think that's definitely I think that's that's definitely true overall. You see it less. You do see it more, in my opinion, to your point, in conferences where the DBs are more NFL uh, future NFL players. And so Devontae Smith playing in the SEC, he saw a lot of good corners in his time. So I think that's where we were able to see it a good amount. Um, you don't see it as much, but when you can, it's it's uh, vital, in my opinion, uh, vital tape to be able to watch on a receiver. So that was nice to be able to have with Smith. Yeah, no doubt. Um, all right. So let's go from him on to Jamar Chase, who uh, you know had a huge career at LSU. You can make the case that uh, in 2019, um, you know, I mean, Justin Jefferson was the guy who went into the draft and obviously had a great uh, 2020 rookie season. Um, but you can you can make the case that that year, Jamar Chase was the better wide receiver. He had fewer catches, but he had more yards. He had a couple more touchdowns. Uh, we didn't get to see we didn't see him at all uh, in 2020 after he opted out. Um, but yeah, obviously that hasn't dampened anybody's enthusiasm about what he can be if we're talking about him at worst as the number two receiver in this class. Uh, so a big question here. Can he have a Justin Jefferson-like season? And I don't necessarily mean setting records or anything like that, but in terms of just being an immediate impact guy, um, I mean, does he have that ability in him? Yeah, he definitely has that ability in him. With Jamar Chase, for me, it's a little bit, he's a little bit more landing spot dependent, I believe. You asked me earlier to kind of rank these top three. I said Chase was second, Waddle is third. If they go to situations where I prefer largely or heavily prefer Waddle situation to where Chase goes, it's very possible I could swap those two. They're very they're very close for me, actually closer for me than Smith and Chase, which is most people's duo. Um, so it, it, I think it does depend quite a bit on where he goes, or at least some on where he goes. But he has a skill set that can be early impact if he gets the targets. I I, I think to the Saints last year. Like in an imaginary world, if Chase had come out early after that crazy season, gone to the Saints uh, in that season where Michael Thomas missed most of the year and he was filling the Michael Thomas role, that kind of place he would destroy. He could have the Justin Jefferson record breaking type of thing that you you kind of even left off the table in a situation like that. So I think it does matter. Uh, one of the tough things is a lot of the landing spots at the very top, like in the top 10 
are not those situations. They don't really meet those requirements for me. This, teams like the Bengals, even the Dolphins, Lions, Panthers, Broncos. Those are basically all the, the teams in the top 10 that are likely to take him. I don't love those spots for an immediate impact like Jefferson had. Maybe if he were to slip to the Giants or the Eagles down at 11 or 12, then we're starting to get into territory where I could see it. I don't think he's probably going to slip that far. Most people don't. So I wouldn't bet on like a wide receiver one or even high end wide receiver two impact rookie season, but he does have that ability and he could, if he goes to the right place. So you talk about landing spots too. And that's one thing I'm, I'm, you know, we obviously don't know. We're still nine days away from the draft starting as we record this. Um, But you know, we're always, you know, we're trying to project, right? People are doing mock drafts and trying to figure out where these guys go. I would say that for for us fantasy types, and you know, maybe you have a different opinion, but I would almost like to see these guys go somewhere where they aren't asked to necessarily carry the full burden in their first year, right? That I think for for all three of these guys, the potential is there for them to be wide receiver ones. I don't want to see them have to carry that in in their first year. Like you mentioned. Uh, Detroit. Like I've seen mocks with Devontae Smith going to Detroit. Like I don't love that for him. <laughs> you know, I don't like that situation. I don't like, I wouldn't like if Jamar Chase had to go somewhere where he was expected to sort of carry the load. I mean, we look at the guys who really excelled last year, Justin Jefferson, right? He, he's playing alongside Adam Thielen. Um, you know, you've got CD Lamb who's playing alongside Amari Cooper. I feel like Jerry Judy, uh, you know, I'm curious to see what his rookie year would have been like if they had Cortland Sutton for the full year, where there isn't necessarily that pressure to go in and step in and be that guy right away. Um, I mean, for the teams, obviously, it's great. You feel like you've got a number one caliber wide receiver. I think for us in fantasy, I would almost prefer to see these guys land somewhere where they know there's at least a little bit of help to, to get them started in their first year or two. Yeah, I think that's a great call overall. Um, and and with receivers in general, it's typically the case that we don't expect them to or demand from them that they break out in a huge way as a rookie like Jefferson did. With running backs, we kind of want that these days and expect it. But with receivers, we don't as much. So if you go somewhere, you have a little bit of time. I think that can be more helpful. I mean, if you ask me the number one spot, and this is even take the quarterback out of the, out of the picture, give them an average quarterback, the Chiefs would be a great situation. Mm-hmm. Now, there's no way he's going to fall to the Chiefs, <laughs> but just in terms of you've got Tyree Kill, who's a different kind of receiver. You've got Travis Kelsey, who's a tight end. You don't have to demand of Jamar Chase that he be the number one, but it's the kind of situation where he could carve out a role of his own where he could be dominant in a year or two. Then, of course, you throw the quarterback in, and that, that would just be bonkers, <laughs> but he's not getting there. I'm just saying, to your point, I think that can be more helpful and, and more promising in the long run. Yeah, it just, it just, yeah. Again, these are our these are our wish lists, and we know that you know. I mean, maybe somebody, maybe Andy Reid is listening and wants to make a big move. I'm all for <laughs> Do it. Do it, Andy. Do it, Andy. <laughs> I'm all for it. Uh, not not expecting that though. No. Um, the other thing with Jamar Chase, and people have sort of commented on his route running, saying it's not particularly great. Um, I was I was trolling your Twitter account. Uh, yesterday as I was putting this thing together and I noticed I came across a conversation you had about sort of the the way LSU ran its offense in the past and the way they sort of put their route concepts together where it didn't it, it maybe what looks like lazy route running quote unquote is sort of 
by design and set up to sort of, you know, make things easier for the offense or make things more difficult on the defense, what have you. And that in some ways it does sort of mirror some things that the Saints, you talk about, you know, Jamar Chase going to the Saints and what that potentially mm-hmm. means, what, what it could have meant had he landed there. Um, so taking all that into account, are the route running concerns overblown or is there something there at least to keep an eye on? Yeah, that was a really interesting conversation, actually, that I had with uh, that Twitter user. I don't even remember where they came from, but um, they gave me some really interesting context. And I looked into it a little bit more and it it did seem to check out to a degree. Now, the, the, the issue still with for me with Chase is that I haven't seen the route running ability. Now, that doesn't mean he can't do it. If it was schemed that way, maybe he just didn't have to do it. And so he didn't. But I haven't seen it where I have with a guy like Devontae Smith or a couple other guys even down the list that we'll talk about. And that gives me a little bit of pause and a little bit of concern. And just overall, he does give me the impression of more of a straight line guy. So I do I believe he's going to be like if he goes somewhere that doesn't have that kind of scheme and they do ask him to be very crisp, very sudden in his routes. Do I expect him to suddenly be Stephon Diggs? No, I don't. I do think that he will be lower on the route running tree. But the thing with Jamar Chase is we have tons of other attributes with which he wins. And it you don't have to be an excellent, excellent route runner to win with those other skill sets that he has. And if he does add that, if he does go somewhere and we see that he actually can do it, that's just an extra boost. So that's one of the reasons he's so high, because even without that skill set being on tape, as clearly as we would like, we know he can win. And if he adds that, he just wins even more. That you talk about athleticism and you watch Jamar Chase and he just has that in droves. Mm. Um, And you're right. If he goes somewhere uh, and gets with a coach or just works with somebody who can sort of help him improve these route running skills, that that to me feels like a happy learn how to putt moment. Right. That's like (laughs) um, that. That's that's trouble for everybody else. If he takes that athleticism, that's those skills he already has uh, and he has route running to it, then then watch out, everybody. Um, so that takes us to Jalen Waddle, who was teammates with Devontae Smith at Alabama. Uh, when you when you watch the tape, when you read these scouting reports, the first thing everybody talks about is speed. You can't help but see it. You, I, I, you and I did this uh, for YouTube uh, a few weeks ago. We we mentioned Jalen Waddle, and I said, think at the time that you watch the tape and you can sort of see defensive backs already getting nervous just as he lines up there, right? Giving him extra cushion, knowing what they have to deal with there. Um, speed is a great attribute, right? You can't really teach it. Uh, watching him, though, what else stood out for you about what he does besides just being fast? Uh, honestly, a whole lot. I think he does just about everything pretty well, and it's one of the things that makes him so scary. Generally speaking, I'm not a fan of pure speed receivers. Like when Henry Ruggs was coming out and everybody was excited about him in the draft, he was very low in my rookie wide receiver rankings and my dynasty wide receiver rankings because to me, he was a little bit too one-dimensional. Waddle is not at all. He is extremely slippery after the catch. So you, he's not just a guy who's going to you know win on nine routes, streaking down the field, and then hopefully he's in the end zone. Otherwise, that's it. He's a guy who you can send on a short slant or an in, and then he breaks away from everybody within 20 yards and is down the field in a flash. Um He's extremely good, excellent at misdirecting the, the defender at the top of his routes. When he, With a lot of these speed guys, you just know they have to blow by them, and if they don't blow by them, they don't win. 
With Jalen Waddle, that's not the case. He's got the, like I talked about earlier, those head fakes, the nuances, the body leverage, the ability to misdirect that DB. And when you have the speed that Waddle has, all those things become even easier for you and harder for the, the corner. So that that is incredible for him on tape. And one specific skill that kind of falls under that tree that stands out is, I mentioned comeback routes earlier, his ability to uh, stutter down on, on a, a vertical route, to stutter down, to stop his feet quickly, come back to the quarterback quickly and catch comeback routes is monstrous. It is going to wreck NFL defenses. And part of that is that fear that you talked about when the, when the corner is as scared as you have to be with Jalen Waddle because of his speed. And then he can do that and come back to the quarterback after looking like he's just running a nine route. It's impossible to defend. And Waddle's ability in that specific aspect is so, so good. Plus, that's just a quarterback's best friend. To have a guy coming back to you, he's wide open. You can't even see the corner who was supposed to be covering him because he's 10 more yards downfield. It's amazing stuff. So Waddle really, really stands out, honestly, across the board for me. He's going to be very, very high upside in the NFL. So we didn't get to see a lot of him last year. Uh, midway through the season, he ended up having ankle surgery, uh, which took him out for the remainder of the season. Any concern about the ankle um, You know, heading into the season at this point? No, he toughed it out, even played in the national championship. Now he's going to have had a full offseason plus. I also hit up my uh, good friend, former co-host, Matthew Betts, uh, who's now the fantasy footballers uh, primary full-time injury analyst. And I said, do you have any concerns, any issues at all with Waddle's ankle? He said, absolutely not. And with Waddle and his athleticism and his speed, that's important. Like this is not a guy like a Mike Evans who just needs to run 10 yards and then jump up in the air and catch the ball. <laughs> his ankles are very important to his game, but there are no concerns there for me. I feel full go. All right. So his ankles are healthy, which means he potentially is wrecking somebody else's uh, when he's mm-hmm. there on the field. Um, all right. So that's, those are the big three there. Uh, the guys that, you know, will certainly go first round. Um, you know, it's just a question of how early or late, if you will, uh, they, they go in the first round. Now I've got four guys that I sort of put into the next tier that all have a chance to come off the board in the first round. And if not, I would expect that they're probably going to be off by early in the second round. The first uh, for me is Elijah Moore. And like there's, there's no particular order for me here. Uh, if you like one of them more than the other, please feel free to point that out. But uh, Elijah Moore, Ole Miss, um, a guy who the first thing I noticed about him was just how good his hands were. Um, and you talk about you know how good guys are at the catch point. I mean, it just didn't seem like uh, when I was watching him, the games that I watched him, he didn't drop the ball. He didn't bobble the ball. It, if, it was, if it was catchable, he was catching it pretty much. Um, but he, he lived his life as a slot receiver in Oxford. Is that going to be his life in the NFL, or is there a chance that maybe – uh, he can be something other than just a slot. And not, look, not I shouldn't say I shouldn't say it like that. I don't want to make it sound like being a slot guy is a bad or terrible thing. <laughs> but it seems like that is is what he's destined to be at the next level. It is, and in my opinion, it needs to be. Um, with you, men, you mentioned his hands. My note on his hands: incredibly smooth and sure hands across the middle. That's how what I have in my scouting notes. He was super impressive in that, but. A little below that in my notes, I have unimpressive release, especially against press coverage where he is useless. That's what I wrote in my notes and needs to be a slot receiver who is schemed into open space to succeed. 
So I, I mentioned it with Devonte Smith briefly. The reason you get put into the slot often, or or the big skill that you need to have on the outside if you're going to stay out of the slot, is that release ability because you're going to have DBs who are pressed up on you, or if they're playing off, you need to be able to eat up that space as a receiver quickly and effectively. I did not see that with Elijah Moore. It was rough. So I absolutely believe he needs to be in the slot. If he is, I believe he can be a very effective NFL and fantasy wide receiver. His hands are great. His route running is great. His athleticism is great. He's a very versatile receiver. Put him in the slot. And I think the NFL team that drafts him will know this. So I think it will happen. Put him in the slot. I think he will succeed. Don't put him on the outside, please. Um, as you, as you were talking, I'm sitting here thinking about the you know, landing spots, potentially, uh, it probably wouldn't be a first round sort of thing, but, uh, the idea of him in Carolina sort of taking over where Curtis Samuel once was now that Samuel mm-hmm. is in Washington, that to me seems sort of interesting, right? There are, there are targets available in the slot. They can sort of use him as a gadget guy. That was one of the things you saw them do at Ole Miss, uh, was use him a lot as kind of a jet sweep, uh, kind of an addition to the running game there. Um, I don't know, just it, that, as I, as you were talking, it just popped into my head seeing Eli Moore in a Carolina Panthers uniform. Seems kind of interesting to me. Yeah, definitely could be. And if he does go at the back end of the first, which would be a lot, a lot of, uh, you know, draft analysts and mock drafts are starting to have him creep up there. There are some really nice options there, like the Packers, mm-hmm. maybe even the Ravens, the Chiefs. There are some really good slot opportunities at the back end of the first round. If he goes there, to one of those teams, that's going to be huge for his fantasy value. If, if any of these guys goes to Kansas City, right, we're just we're going to go bonkers, right? We're just going to yes. go nuts. <laughs> we're going to go insane uh, if any of these guys end up going to Kansas City. Um, Kadarius Tony, University of Florida, uh, very much sort of a. I feel like he's one of those guys where you know there's nothing that I saw of him that was you know super spectacular, blew you away. But I felt like there were a lot of things about him that I thought were really good. I know he's another guy. He's a guy who can do who can play special teams as well, which is certainly always a plus. Um, statistically, though, just one real season of note. Does that worry you at all about him? Absolutely not. Okay. And here's why. Largely speaking. One season of production doesn't necessarily mean the end of things for me. Look at Jamar Chase, who had one. Of course, he would have had another one if he didn't opt out. But still, we have one incredible season to go off with Jamar Chase. Generally, it's not a huge deal for me. But it's even less of a huge deal for a guy who transfers from quarterback to wide receiver in the middle of his career, which is what Kadarius Tony in. He was a high school quarterback. He came in expecting to play quarterback at Florida. He ended up switching to wide receiver because his athleticism was so insane. And he honestly blew me away in his ability, especially as a route runner, to win as a receiver after basically one year of true wide receiver play. It is very, very impressive. And he he was actually asked in a, uh, in a press conference what he thinks he could improve on most as a receiver. And he said route running. And that's probably the right answer for a guy who just switched the position but for me on tape, his route running was extremely impressive already. So that's pretty scary, in my opinion, for what he can be at the next level. In terms of just that, what I talked about earlier under that route running tree, that um, breaking in and out, that suddenness, that foot quickness, the break your ankles kind of ability that we, that we talked about with guys like Stephon Diggs and Keenan Allen. 
Kadarius Tony might do that better than anybody else in this mm-hmm. class, in my opinion. His athleticism through his route is insane, and he's extremely fast and quick. So if he continues to improve on the nuance of his route running on top of that, he could be extremely, extremely dangerous. He was a guy going in in like the, the 20s range of mock drafts earlier in this draft season. He's kind of fallen a little bit since then. But if he goes in the second round, to a, a team that's willing to use him in all of his all the ways he can win, which is a lot, and all of his versatility is going to be pretty sweet for fantasy, in my opinion. I have heard the name Percy Harvin attached to him uh, on mm-hmm. occasion. I think some of it is obviously the the Florida connection uh, between the two of them. Is that is that ridiculous? I, I mean, I look at that and it's like, well, let's you know, let's calm down a little bit. But I don't know. You you were nodding your head, so maybe that's not as ridiculous as I thought it was. I I don't think it is. There are a lot of similarities there. Percy Harvin's ability as a returner, his uh, out of the backfield kind of um, gadget ability was certainly similar to what we've seen from Tony. I think Tony has a higher upside because I think that he is already now what we kind of saw Percy Harvin being. And if, like I was talking about, he can add more aspects to his game as a receiver become more well-rounded i think he can be better kind of like what we saw from tyree kill if you guys remember you know when he came out we didn't see him as a complete receiver he was kind of a return specialist and then all of a sudden he was a nasty route runner and was annihilating the entire nfl i could see a similar kind of path for Kadarius tony maybe not that high of upside because i really <laughs> one of the best but right. but that kind of uh, trajectory all right. I mean, he was a guy that early on, I sort of had him as my my fourth receiver. I've kind of, I don't know, I've played around with that a little bit. But um, yeah, I'm just I, like I said, the Percy Harvard thing just it, it perked my ears up a little bit. So I was that was good to hear. Um, so we have two Alabama receivers on this list with Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle. Uh, now we've got a second LSU receiver, and that is Terrace Marshall. Uh, who was you know, in the absence of Jamar Chase this past year, he becomes the de facto number one uh, in Baton Rouge, uh, sort of opted out late in the season there. Um, you know, didn't necessarily put up the bananas video game numbers that we had seen maybe the year before from Chase or from Justin Jefferson. Some of it has to do with when you lose a quarterback like Joe Burrow. Uh, that's going to impact the offense as well. Watching him, was it, was it, a benefit or was it a disadvantage for him to not be playing alongside Jamar Chase last year? Um, I think it was more of a help, honestly, than a hurt just because of the attention he was able to get. We got to see him kind of, uh, he only played seven games, but we got to see him in those seven games take on a much more uh, productive role, basically doubling his catches and yards per game numbers from the year before. Um, and then the question obviously becomes, well, without Chase taking that attention, was he you know, a lesser receiver? Did he succeed less? Was he less efficient? And the answer is nope. He was very <laughs> good. His yards per reception actually went up from 2019. He had 10 touchdowns in seven games where he had 13 and 12 in 2019. It, everything that we saw with Chase off the field was still this guy's an excellent receiver. This guy can be the focal point. He can be a number one. Um, he's got one of the best size, size speed combos, maybe the best of anyone in this class. So when you're looking for a number one, that's a, a really nice um, combo to have. So I really like that with Terrace Marshall. He has a very young breakout age and a very good dominator rating. If you go to those analytics that a lot of people look at with wide receivers that says, well, 
did he stand out in college? Did he succeed early and did he stand out? And the answer is yes. And it was a very lucrative system he was playing in. But the tape, in my opinion, supports that he is a very, very good wide receiver. You know, it's funny because he is is one of the bigger receivers, I think, in this class, at least in this this tier of guys there at 6'2". I don't remember who it was I saw tweeted. This is size-wise, this is not a physically large class of, no. of wide receivers. I mean, we, I, you know, obviously people talk about Devonte Smith and, and his kind of slight frame and, and point that out. But generally speaking, I mean, you don't have a, a lot of big monstrous, you know, six, five guys in this class. And so Terrace Marshall uh, is one of the, the bigger guys. And so it'll be curious to see, uh, you know, sort of where he lands and how he, how they use him because he is very different. Um Physically than, than everybody. I don't know. Does that does that make make a difference for you at all? I mean, how much does body type play into it when you're when you're watching guys? It can. It can make a difference. Um, primarily in like what what they're going to do at the NFL level and how they're going to be used. Different receivers are going to be schemed into different things. You've got your X, your Y, your Z, your slot receivers. What they're going to be used for is somewhat dependent on their size and how they play with that size. And that's one of the really important things like Devonte Smith. It would be concerning if he played like he was 170 pounds. He doesn't, he plays like he's 200 pounds. And so he, he continues to win, but, but yeah, it, it definitely matters. And when you have the size speed combo that Terrace Marshall has, that's a really big threat because if you are big, but not that fast, you can be very effective as a contested catch guy, a red zone guy, but if you're big and fast, you can win all over the field, every area of the field. And that's what Terrace Marshall, I think, offers. So yeah, he he currently is my five because there's one other guy that we haven't talked about and won't talk about until next pod. So tune in, uh, who's one of my favorites <laughs> that is above him. But he's right in this group, um, at the top of this group of guys even that we're talking about for me. All right. Uh, that's a tease, folks. So, uh, yeah, be sure to tune in next week because we uh... – we give you the conclusion uh, of our wide receiver talk. But the conclusion today of our wide receivers, um, hey, we actually we actually step outside the SEC and talk about a non-SEC receiver to end this one. Rashad Bateman, um, who has, I think, a pretty steady and I guess growing following uh, on fantasy Twitter and in draft Twitter uh, with what he's, he's done. Now, last year was – to say a roller coaster, I think, is an understatement. Uh, he started the year. He opted out. He, he actually caught COVID, uh, opted out before the season started when it looked like the Big Ten might not play. Then, you know, the schools decide they're going to play. He decides to come back, plays five games, and then after another outbreak, uh, decides he was going to just opt out for the remainder of the season. Uh, I'm certainly not going to, to criticize him for that, especially as somebody who who had already caught it once. Um, to take precautions with his health. I completely get it. Uh, but, you know, obviously it means we didn't see as much of him on tape in 2020. For you, how much emphasis did you put into what you watched this past year? Or were you forced to kind of go back and watch previous years to get a better sense of who he is? Uh, I went mixed. I watched mm-hmm. a little bit of both. Um, and I think largely that, that that's the best way to do it. You know, if Chase had played another season and not had as productive a year, I think it would have been right to watch both because he was incredible in 2019. Why did he maybe not succeed in much in, as as much in 2020? So in general, I like to be able to do that if there are big swings in a receiver's production um, or in or in just how much they succeed. And so I, I watched a little bit of both with Bateman and 
the tough thing, the really tough thing, honestly, with him and that 2020 situation is one of the biggest drawbacks for me with him in general was inconsistency. He has some very high upside uh, and the ability that he shows in certain instances is very impressive. He is a very good route runner, athletic and fast off of the line. Very good after the catch. He's got a lot of juking ability, not super physical in general, but most of the rest of the package he has. But he had this tendency to kind of disappear. And I wonder if it means maybe he can't be a wide receiver one for an NFL team. Maybe he just needs to be a contributor guy, a very successful one, but more of a two at the NFL level. But the tough thing is, if we had had a full 2020, it would have been easier to evaluate that. Mm-hmm. Like, where, where is this inconsistency coming from? Why does he continue to play with these ups and downs and having a, a kind of reduced season? And like even the, the games that he did play being affected maybe by the in and out phenomenon, it made it tough. So he's a tougher one for me to to analyze on tape. One of the big reasons, actually the big reason he's becoming very popular in the community is because of his analytics numbers, that dominator rating that I talked about where how much did you dominate at your own on your own team at your own school and the breakout age, how young did you become very productive? He is 88th and 95th percentile in those two analytics uh, metrics. So very, very good analytics profile. And so even with the inconsistent or lesser tape that we have on him a lot of people are really really excited i think that's helpful in this instance to be able to turn to that so it is it is a good you know ball in his court there i do think he's kind of at the bottom of this group we've mentioned but still this is one of those guys who's like maybe towards that seven eight nine ten range who is still worth drafting in the early to mid second round of rookie drafts and might compare to a guy like t higgins because of how deep this class is Talk about maybe he may not blossom into a wide receiver one, maybe more of a wide receiver two at the next level. So of of you know Bateman, Moore, Tony, uh, Marshall, any of those guys sort of profile to you as potential wide receiver ones? Yeah, for me, it's Marshall by a long shot of this group. Um, Moore is going to be more that slot guy like we talked about. Tony, I think, is always going to be doing everything but not being the 150 target you know red zone king guy the the prototypical one and we just talked about bateman marshall though i think for me profiles very much in that kind of uh role so he's one of the most interesting for me in terms of landing spot because if he does go somewhere where it looks like they might ask him to be the one relatively soon i might feel better about him there than some of these other guys like you talked about where we might want to give them a year or two um, so he, he's the one that stands out in that aspect, but I think they can all succeed a lot in different ways. All right. Well, that, uh, I feel like is a good place to sort of, uh, have a break here and, uh, kind of re- regroup and get ready for next week. Um, yeah, this was, this was a lot to take in, man. <laughs> uh, it's a lot to take in, but it's, it's definitely good. Uh, looking forward to kind of getting through next because next week, what well, we got, there are a lot of names out there just as a sneak peek, anybody in particular that, that folks should really be excited about uh, that, that will probably show up on this list next week. Yeah. I'll, I'll throw out three names mm-hmm. for three different reasons. One is Rondale Moore. Mm-hmm. I'll throw him out because people love him and love are getting him. super yeah. excited about him. <laughs> Very dynamic player. Another is uh, Tylen Wallace, and I'll throw him out because I freaking love him. <laughs> He's <laughs> arguably my favorite fantasy player in this whole class in terms of like a, a Matt Okada's guy 
kind of guy. And then the one other one I'll throw out is Amon Ross St. Brown, who, if that sounds somewhat familiar, is because he's related to Equinemius St. Brown. Mm-hmm. Spoiler alert, I think he's a lot better than Equinemius St. Brown. <laughs> I really like him as well. He fits in with this tier we just talked about for me. So these are these are three more guys, honestly, that might fit into this tier. We're getting down to outside the top 10, and we're still talking about this tier of receivers. That's how crazy deep it is. So definitely check into that pod because it's going to be a good one. All right, and to all the people out there listening, I promise you I did not bribe him to get him to mention a USC guy uh, at the <laughs> end of this show. Um, so, so you know, so this is it's genuine. It's not. It is. It's, it's not forced at all. So, all right, so get ready for that next week. Obviously, that'll be our final piece of this pre-draft puzzle, and uh, it'll hit on Tuesday and give you a couple of days to sort of digest it uh, as we get ready for the actual NFL draft coming up uh, in about a week and a half from uh, right now as we sit. <laughs> you know. It's coming quick, and honestly, it sort of can't come quickly enough because I think I'm I'm yep. I'm starting to run low on tolerance <laughs> for draft takes. So this uh, is true, right? So we'll get one more of these in, uh, and then we will do the draft, and we will, uh, you know, we'll, we'll actually have something else to talk about. But in the meantime, for us, that is it. We are done. We appreciate you hanging out with the NFL Fantasy Football Show. You know the drill: tell two friends to tell two friends, rate, review, and remember, if we were better at naming things. It would actually be called a teeth brush. Be safe, take care of yourselves, wear a mask, and we will see you next week. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.